Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. Do you have these lights all the way up on me, Dave? There you go. Thank you. I want to make sure that when it reflects off my forehead, the people proper. You know what? There's a verse in the Bible. We won't read it today, but you ought to look it up. Get you a concordance. Everybody know what that is? All right. You get you a concordance and you look up the phrase bald, B-A-L-D. And there's a verse in there where a curse pronounced on someone for mocking a prophet who's bald. That's all. And I think perhaps, Dick Hunter, you would agree that it's a spiritual, the more spiritual you are, the less hair you have. Notice Dick Hunter, a godly man, doesn't have a, doesn't have a hair on his head. For those of you with full heads of hair, confess your sins, even now. I'm sure Jesus was bald, right? He'd have to, if my logic were true, he'd have to, apparently my logic. All right. I do want us to think about today, if you'll notice the title of today's message, it is God's Memorial Day. The Passover, and I was just I was just looking and thinking about Memorial Day. I'm absolutely fascinated by the history of our nation in a lot of different ways. And Memorial Day, and uh, when it was initially started, Peter mentioned it would celebrate, remember those who had passed away during the Civil War. And when I was a kid, there was this thing called Decoration Day, and that was what it was originally designed for. And even to this day, I have a, an elderly aunt lives in Brawling Tropolis in the sea, and we grew up in a little community called Rigand. And I remember going to see my grandfather, and I loved going because he had a grocery, Stewart's Grocery, and I'd go and he'd give me a roll of nickels and a nice sandwich, and I thought I would have it. But they have a little church up there, and, and even to this day, today, my aunt, Decoration, will be at that cemetery, and will be cleaning up around our, many of our relatives there in that little And I was up there with her last year, my mom's buried there, my dad's buried there, all my relatives on my mom's side. And I remember being up there with my aunt, and she was taking me around, and my aunt's 90, taking me around to every headstone, every person, uh, how they were related to us, where they came, how they got here from England, where they came from, expect me to carry on that, and you better write all this down. Expect, I can't even remember where mom and dad are, and I found, found that part. But she's a sweet lady. But Decoration Day was a big deal to her, a big deal in a lot of small towns. Now, whether you celebrate Decoration Day or not, I think it is important for us Christians to realize, even though our country in many ways, we do live in a post-Christian culture in many ways, particularly around leadership, we turned our back to God, graced our nation, that as church of Christ, we have an opportunity until Jesus comes back. We have an incredible opportunity to remind people in this nation what it means free, both as Americans, but as individuals, what God can do for us as Christ. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, truth shall set free, because Jesus is the truth. And literally, that's what it's all about. You can have any philosophy you want. Bottom line is, what's the truth? Is Jesus who he said he was? And as Christians, obviously, we believe that. And we think about Memorial Day, and we think about people. And I remember my dad, was he's been dead about 10 years now, a little over 10 years. And my dad and I were not close growing up, and it was a very difficult time. And, and after I got saved and, and left home at 19, I, I have witnessed a chair. I've witnessed polls. I've witnessed many total strangers in my life. The one person I never could bring myself to talk to about Jesus. My dad was like John Wayne, big, strapping, powerful. That's what my dad was. And even as a even as a grown man in thirty and in nearly my forties, I never could talk to my dad about. It. I remember the day I told him I was going into the ministry. I was thirty and I was sales and I had a company car and expense account and was married. I've been for eleven years with and I was getting bonuses that was very significant back in. And I went to my dad's favorite watering hole. That's where I would see him before he had a chance to inebriate it. So I'd go, I'd show up to talk to him. It kind of blew him away when I walked in and said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'll tell you something. I told my dad, you got to understand, my dad never went to high school. He got an eighth grade education, fought in World War II, came out of World War II, worked for trucking lines, only job he ever had, retired from there. He just, Mississippi boy, all he ever knew, working, drinking. That was my dad. And I walked in, I said, dad, I'm, I'm going to quit my job and I work for this. 
Bartlett. And he, and he looked at me in his inimitable way, and he said, what? And I began to, he knew that I uh, had gotten saved, and he knew, I mean, 14 years at that point. I'm trying to explain to him. And he never understood it, but he got to the point that he expected. But I, the one thing I could never get my dad to talk about, he said it was always hard for me. He fought in World War II, and he never wanted to talk about it. And my dad died of Gary thinking about that disease. It's a tough, it just ultimately you die from your muscles. Mentally, you're there. He, he, my dad lasted about the average. But I remember after that period of time, I'd go sit down and talk to him. He, we talked about World War II. I'm terrified. in those islands, never exactly. And I realized, just like Mary and I watched my favorite, one of my favorites of all time, called The Longest Day. From 19, and everybody that was anybody in 19 that movie talk about John Henry Robert Mitchell you name them they were in that movie and I love it it's not only the longest day I think it's the longest movie but we're sitting there watching it the other night and that Normandy invasion they're dropping off all the young men young like my son's age and realizing as they attacked beaches it, that they realized large numbers that they would die as young men and the reason we are free today is that they, I remember talking to my dad, and every chance I get, I find generations dying off. So I go up to them in restaurants, a lot of times you'll see their hats, say, I, I know you want to thank you. And even young men that I see now, I, I'm going, I want to say thank you for serving, because I've never done it, but I'm able to stand here and do that. Now, Exodus chapter 12. The price of our freedom as Americans is that people were willing to go on Omaha Beach and Utah Beach, tacked to that incredible, intense fire and pressure. That's the reason we can be free. But as Christians, the price of our freedom is blood. The price of our freedom as Americans was the blood of those young men. The price of our freedom as Christians is the blood of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is willing and chose to die in our place, to shed his blood, to become a human being, to have flesh, to have blood, and say, I will take their place, I will spill my blood so that they might be set free. Blood is something that's always fascinated us as human beings. I want to read you just an excerpt from an article in Christianity Today several years ago by a guy named Paul Brand, and he writes these words. Blood spatters the pages of mythology and of history. Drinking it gives strength and new life. To the ghosts of the dead in the Odyssey, to the Roman epileptics who dashed onto the floor of the Colosseum to quaff the blood of dying gladiators, to Kenya's Maasai tribesmen who to this day still celebrate feast days by drinking blood freshly drawn from a cow or a goat. In early history, blood assumed a mysterious, almost sacred aura in human relations. An oath held more power than a person's word, but blood made a contract nearly inviolable. The ancients, unashamed to act out the physical literality of their symbols, would sometimes seal blood contracts by cutting themselves and mingling their blood. I remember from, I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan in a movie, and I thought about it, I was reading that the outlaw Josie Wales at the end of it, they've got the ends there, and you've got Josie Wales, a small band of people, and they're getting ready to have this final battle and wipe each other out. And Clint Eastwood goes out and he meets with the uh, Indians, and they decide that it'll be life. And what do they do? They cut themselves and their blood. See that picked throughout history. And I think it's important that we understand that God wants us to realize that life is in the blood. When we die, our blood fizzles. When we die, we know eternally some of the names on the board here. I did their friend, one of them was a dear friend, another is mother of a dear friend, people that I stood initiated at the funeral because they knew Jesus Christ, sins were covered, the blood, the Son of God, toned, covering, atoned for their sins, absent the body, was present the Lord. When you get to Exodus chapter 12, what you're looking at is that the Israelites were set free from bondage in Egypt by trusting God's provision, and God's provision was the blood, and then obeying him by applying the blood to the door. When you reach that context in Exodus chapter 12, God has gone to Pharaoh. This is Pharaoh's last chance. Pharaoh has enslaved God's people, the Hebrews. And God has sent Moses to him repeatedly saying, let my people go. So he starts sending plagues. He turns the water to blood, the Nile River. Pharaoh says no. He floods the land and houses with frogs. 
Just think about that one alone. Your house filled with frogs. We had one bug in our house last night, and I thought of Mary, but it was me or the bug. And I finally got the bug. I was pretty excited. of the bug. Your house is filled with frogs. Pharaoh said, all right, you can go. And then he changed his mind when the frogs were gone. God filled the land with gnats. Pharaoh said, no. He sent, a swarm, he sent swarms of flies. Pharaoh said, yes. Then he changed his mind when the flies were gone. God sent a terrible plague upon the livestock, and it began to die. Pharaoh said, no. He put boils on all the Egyptians. Pharaoh said, no. He sent a terrible hailstorm that destroyed the land and it killed workers in the field. Pharaoh said yes, and then he changed his mind when the storm was over. He plagued the land with locusts. Pharaoh said yes, when the locusts were gone, he changed his mind. God placed three days of complete darkness on Egypt. Pharaoh got really mad and he threatened to kill Moses if he ever came back. That's the first nine plagues. None of those nine plagues other than perhaps darkness affected the Hebrews. Now you get to plague number 10, Exodus chapter 12. Let's just read the story. Exodus chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the person. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generation. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. It's one of the most significant moments in history. Because on this first Passover, God established for the most powerful man in the world who God was. It wasn't Pharaoh of Egypt. It wasn't all the gods, of plural, of Egypt. It was the God of the Hebrews, Jehovah. The God of the slave was God. And what he says to Moses and to Aaron is, I want you to do something. Trust me, this is my provision for you. My final plague, Pharaoh has had his last chance. My final plague is death. And for you, my people, to escape death, you have to trust me. You have to trust my provision for you. And what was God's provision? Covering of blood. You must trust me that by putting blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house, individual home that you're in, death pass over that house. You think for a moment about that. You would have to have faith. You hear the screaming, the firstborn's dying in every Egyptian home. And you're thinking, all we did was blood on the door. How, we, how is that going to let us a terrible plague of death? Because God said so. It is word. To this day, in your heart, right now, if you're a Christian, you know the moment you die, what happens to you? After from the body, it's present with the Lord. You die, you go home. How do you know that? 
because mommy told me when I was a kid and BS in my heart. Those are good things, by the way. I was in Sunday's class at that crazy church, and I walked down there prayed. Wherever you accept the Christ, the point is at this moment in time, right now, if you died, how do you know you're going to heaven? You're good looking because you've done a lot of good things, you've given a lot of money, you work. Man, I give, I work, I play in the band, I sing, I preach. None of those are good enough. Why? Because you believe what? God's word. You trust who he said he was. The only way a man can God. I am the way, and the truth, I am the life. You trust him. You trust that his blood is enough. And it's pictured for us right here, the significant moment in history where God says to these slaves, I'm going to bring you out of bondage. When God saved you, what did he bring you out of? Bondage. Your Egypt, your sin. He set you free. He said, now go to your promised land. So he says to the, to the Egyptians, I gave you your chance. Now I'm sending one last plague. He said, that plague is death. For a world that's rejected Jesus Christ, whether it's in America or around the world, for a world that's rejected Jesus Christ corporately by and large, what's the final plague that everybody on the planet will suffer from and not escape? They will die. It's appointed unto man once die. None escape it. For some, it happens when they're young. For most, it happens when they're old. But the bottom line, it happens. And if you don't have the blood covering you, then you go to separation. And it's the final plague. But let's see what God was doing. Number one, but he wanted the Hebrews to remember, and to this day, to this day, 2012, they still celebrate Passover. But so do we. We're going to see in a different way. It's a permanent reminder of God's deliverance. Look at verse 14. This day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Verse 26, it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. It's a permanent, permanent reminder of God's deliverance. Two things I want you to notice. That it's for all generations, an annual feast of celebration for all generations. It's really important. I mentioned the children earlier, and I wanted them to ask you about Memorial Day. You might throw in the Passover and explain that. For all generations, look at verse 27, verse 24. You shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your son forever, for all generations and for all time. Notice he's bringing them out of Egypt. He's going to take them to the promised land. But he says to them, when your children ask, generations down the road, when they ask, Why, what are we celebrating at Passover? You tell them about this night when God delivered. You know this day in Shomes, they still celebrate Passover. Someone out in the youngest child, I believe it is, the Messiah is coming to proclaim our Passover. He is Messiah. He is Christ. He's the one you're looking for. A permanent reminder. Secondly, it's a permanent reminder of God's deity. Look at verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Verse 12, one more time. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods, plural, of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Remember the great statement from Exodus 3.14 when Moses said, what is your name? And what did God say? I am. Pharaoh thinks he is, but I am. The Egyptians think all these gods, the Nile River and the sun god and God after God after God, think that they are, but I am. To this day, throughout history, man has created all kinds of gods. In our culture today, for most people, God is me or my philosophy. And God says, you think you are, but I am. The God that serves, the same God that spoke to Moses and spoke to Pharaoh through Moses and said, your last chance. 
permanent reminder who, who is God. I, remember, I love the old bumper sticker from the 70s. Only two things are true. There's a God and you ain't it. There is only one God. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ. I was reading a part of a, an excerpt from a book this week by a well-known atheist, powerful, intelligent men supposedly on our planet. And he was talking about an interview done years ago with the Phil Donahue, kind of the original talk, talk show guy. And Phil Donahue was talking about why he had, would have, it's not a Christian, wouldn't have Christianity. What he said was, Phil Donahue said, the reason I don't have anything to do with Christianity is that there is, there was a God of love. Why did he send his son and let him be? And what the guy said, he's talking about the end Phil Donahue missed that God did come. It's God the Son. And he loved you so much, Phil Donahue, you'd come and die in your mystic. This is a permanent reminder of God's deity. Permanent reminder. Verse 23, power. The Lord will pass through. The Lord will strike the Egyptian. He will pass over the houses with the blood and not, you see this phrase in verse 23, not allow the destroyer. You see that? Revelation talks about that Jesus holds the key of death and hell. If you got the keys to something, what does that mean? You own it. You're in charge. You're the one that lets people in or out. What God was saying to the, to the Hebrews, what the Egyptians were going to discover, is that I have the power over death. That's the ultimate power, and only God has it. He alone decides. He alone has the power over death and life. He gives life. He controls it. He is God. And he's saying to the Hebrews, trust me, because I have the power of death. You put the blood on the door. By faith, you trust me. By faith you obey me, put the blood, and then I'll pass. You will live. You trust it. How'd you save? Because you trusted and you obeyed. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Be happy in Jesus, but trust, obey. By faith I trust, then I obey. He said, you trust and you obey because I am God. Pharaoh is not. Don't fear him. Fear me. Trust me. Then he had his plans for them. Think about this. Really interesting. If you, if you were a Hebrew, you were enslaved to the Egyptians. You were in bondage, and you wanted to be set free. But realize, who is it you're being set free from? Pharaoh, incredible army, the most powerful man in the world. All you're doing is putting blood over the door. You're trusting God. And the question might be, well, what are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do the next day? What are we going to do the day after that? And I read an article this week talking about this, just kind of a, so I would get a, a mental image. They interviewed the, um, oh, that's the wrong one. Let me get the right one. They interviewed the, the quartermaster general of, of the United States Army, and they asked him, all these people, when they left Egypt, how did Moses take care of them? Listen to the quartermaster of the United States Army said, quartermaster general said, they would need, as they traveled the desert, about two or three million people. They would have needed 1,500 tons of food every day. He said that would be two freight trains each a mile long every day. They would need firewood to cook the food, 4,000 tons of wood per day. How many days did they wander in the wilderness? 40 years. A lot of food, a lot of wood. They would also needed water, 11 million gallons a day. Where were they, by the way, as they traveled? Promised the what? They had to get across the Red Sea in one night. If they went on a narrow path, double file, the line would have been hundreds of miles long. It would require something like 35 days and nights to get through. So there had to be a space of dry land in the Red Sea, three miles wide, so that they could walk 5,000 abreast to get over it in one day. And then when they camped every night, they would have needed a campground two-thirds the size of Rhode Island, or 750 square miles. God had his plan. What did they know? Put the blood on the door. Trust God. Now, when they got out there in the wilderness, what did they do? Well, Moses was up on the mountain getting God's direction. What did they do? They decided to be better off back there in bondage. Aaron, make us a gold calf, and let's go back there, and maybe Pharaoh will be all right with it. They struggled with that faith, didn't they? God's trusting with the blood on them. If God had the power over death, don't you think he could provide for them? And he did when they trusted him. He had the power over death. He could handle food. Matter of fact, what did he put on the ground for them? He's got to go out and get up. 
And even, they even mess that up. They're a lot like us, aren't they? Trust all the time, just sometimes. And then verse 27, another thing you notice is God's love. You shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians that delivered our household. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. Bowed their heads and worshipped. God loved them. You are my people. I want you to trust me. If you trust me, I give you victory. Over. What does God say? I love you. I sent my son to die for you. For God so loved the world that gave. Trust my provision you. The blood over the door set the Hebrews free. The blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, will set you, has set you if you're born again. And the third thing, it's a permanent reminder of God's redemption. Verse 12, we've already read, is a reality reminder of death and judgment. It's coming. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Jesus said one time, all, said it several times, all authority has been given to me on heaven, on earth, and in heaven. All authority. You will be judged by my words. My words are truth. The reality is that death and judgment is pointing to man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Death and judgment await every man. Redemption from death and judgment are available to every man. In the land of Egypt, it was by trusting God's provision, the blood of the Lamb. Today, it's by trusting God's provision, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Permanent memorial. Look on your handout. 1 Corinthians 5 says, Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. In Exodus 12, God established Passover as a memorial day. Remember this night. It was an atonement. It was a feast, an annual celebration and remembrance. It was a picture. It was a prophecy. It involved two main parts. He sprinkled the blood on the door, and then he told them, eat the whole sacrifice. It was a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. You notice we're not going to read the whole story again, but when God was telling them what to do, he says, you take a lamb of the what? A male without blemish of the first year. Who did he strike down in the Egyptian homes? The firstborn. He was saying, this is my substitute. Rather than the firstborn dying in the homes of the Hebrews, I will take a firstborn lamb, male. He will die in your place. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, this love picture. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You think John the Baptist had heard of Passover? Every, remember, it was a permanent reminder, an annual celebration. Tell your children about it. They tell their children about it. They tell their children about it. And then Jesus shows up, and John the Baptist got it. He said, there he is, the one we've been waiting for, the Lamb of God. Behold. But God told them also, not only do you put sprinkle the blood on the door, trust me by faith, you eat the whole sacrifice, your unleavened bread. Unleavened means without defilement, without sin, a picture of sin. God was not only setting them free from bondage to sin, saving them, but he was saying, this is your new life. I will not only save you, but I will sustain you. I will provide for you. I will carry you through to the promised land. Exactly what Christianity is. God saves you. Ultimately, you die and you go to the promised land. But in between, who sustains you? God, the same one who saved you. Justification, glorification, and in between, sanctification. God saved you. God will save you. God is saving you. Romans puts it this way. From faith to faith. Justification, sanctification, glorification. God says you eat the whole sacrifice. You notice it was one for each house. It's an individual thing. I'm not saving every Hebrew. I'm saving the ones that trust me. What does God say to this day? Those who will repent and by faith trust him it will save. The blood is there. It is available. They were to eat it with bitter herbs. 
That was a reminder of the bondage they left. Bitter herbs. You need every day, at some point in your day, in your prayer life, you don't do this already, you ought to do it. Just take a moment of time and think about what it meant God has saved you. You were in bondage to sin. He saved you. He set you free to go to the promised land. You always remember that bondage. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember the blood, we remember the body that was sacrificed so that we could be free, so that we are free, and so that we will be free. Jesus is our lamb. So the last thing we wrap up, it's a picture of Jesus, our Passover lamb. You notice it was on the 10th of the month. You study history, that's when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. You kill it at twilight on the 14th day, crucified. It's a lamb without blemish, a male. You use the lamb's blood as a covering. It is the Lord's Passover, and you eat it in haste that you're ready. Peter describes Jesus this way. He is the lamb without blemish or defect. John in Revelation describes Jesus, uh, describes it this way. Worthy is the lamb. You were slain and have redeemed us by your blood. Paul writes these words. They're in your handout. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. You see, for Christians, it's not just an annual remembrance, or it's not just a monthly remembrance when we celebrate communion, or even a weekly remembrance. Some people celebrate communion every Sunday. It is a daily remembrance, a daily reminder that Jesus is our Passover. See, the other thing to me that's so exciting is it ties history and the Bible together. God said, this is a permanent reminder of what I will do, what I am doing. I am. You see, the God you serve as Christ is the same yesterday, today. So whether it's Memorial Day or it's May 12th, every day, the day a Christian remembers over Lamb. Father, we simply pause before you again as our God and say thank you. It does seem not enough. But I pray, Father, we don't just say the words thank you. We say thank you with our lives, with our hearts. We apply the blood. We're born again. But also pray, Father, we would take the whole sacrifice and then we would live like those who've been set free. Live like those headed for the promised land. There is desert in between, but you are the provision in the desert. We thank you for saving us, for sustaining us, and for taking us to promised land. Lord, I pray for somebody here who's not saved. At this moment, they would say, thank you, Jesus, taking flesh, for taking blood, dying in my place, sacrificing your blood, your body, that I could set free. Save me. For those of us that are saved, Father, that we would be excited about our Memorial Day, our Passover. Live that way every day. We pray in Jesus. Please stand as we